This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Okay, welcome back to Sportsbook. I'm Dan Roberts. And of course, we have right now underway baseball season, the hockey playoffs and the NBA playoffs. Let's talk about the NBA, shall we? Because the focus recently outside of the NBA, but in the basketball world, has been all Zion. Of course, we're talking about Zion of Duke declaring for the NBA draft. And one interesting conversation that has sprung from Zion declaring for the draft is what brand Zion might sign a sneaker deal with. Now, of course, what's interesting about that for me is I've written a lot in the last year about how maybe the era of the big, expensive, uh, single-athlete sneaker deal is ending, but Zion might be an exception. People expect Zion to get a big, uh, multi-million dollar deal. The question is, from whom, from which company? Might be a little bit of a bidding war. It's a great segue to talk about the sneaker market in general, so we want to bring on Matt Powell. He is a sneaker analyst with NPD Group. Hey, Matt. Hey, how are you? Terrific. And we also have here Reggie Wade, our own Yahoo Finance sneaker expert. Hey, Reggie. Hey, what's going on? Not too much. Okay, so guys, I think Zion is a great place to start, and then we can kind of broaden it out. Matt, uh, is too much being made of this, or is this right, that Zion is kind of maybe a -a once-in-a-generation talent, and he is going to get a huge sneaker deal? And do you have any predictions about uh, what brand might come in here? Of course, he was working with Nike in the past, and Nike, of course, had that tough moment with the uh, the, the sneaker, I should say, busting open. So I think some people just think, well, maybe he'll stay with Nike if, if Nike can prove, hey, we're going to design a special new shoe just for Zion. But other people think, look, maybe a Chinese brand comes in here and, and pays Zion a lot. Yeah, I think uh, my bet my is that he's ultimately going to sign with whoever it's going to pay him the most money. Um, uh, and that there's obviously real logic in doing that. Um, uh, and I do think this is going to be a larger-than-normal contract. Um uh, he, as you say, is a, is a once-in-a-generation athlete, and, and uh, uh, so I expect him to, to make some, some decent money here. But at the end of the day, I also don't think he's ever going to earn out what, uh, what anybody pays him. So um, and we have seen with uh, the other mega contracts, whether LeBron or Curry or, or, or Durant, um, simply not selling enough product to really offset um, the, uh, the cost of, uh, of their contracts. That's really interesting because if they're not making enough to uh, justify the cost, why is it taking brands a while to realize this? Or is it that, of course, they know, but but the calculation they're making is it's still worth it for kind of the brand awareness and, and being out there and being the brand that is first associated with a star like this. They know that it doesn't make sense, and yet the cycle continues. Yeah, I think you, you, you've touched on it. That, you know, brands absolutely need athletes performing at a high level wearing their products, and that gives them credibility and authenticity, um, and, and, and so they, they need these athletes to do it. And I think really if you go back, uh, Durant was probably the last giant rookie contract that we saw, and what, what the brand seemed to be doing was saying, okay, we're going to get a guy signed up, um, we're going to figure out if he is first an elite player and secondly, if he's marketable. Um, and if he meets those combinations later on in his career, we're going to give him more, more money. And like we saw with Curry, uh, Curry was yeah. making a, a lot of money in relative NBA terms from Nike. Um, and then, and then um, Under Armour came in and, and uh, swooped in and took him away for big money. And, so that seems to be bring have brought some sanity, if you will, to the rookie contract uh, marketplace. Um, but again, I, I think uh, because of um, uh, Williamson's talent, that he's he's going to bring in uh, much larger than the one or two million that we've been seeing rookies get. Matt, do you think that 
companies like Nike and Adidas are looking to play the extremely long game, looking like at someone like a Michael Jordan. He's been retired for almost 20 years, and they're still selling his signature bottle. And I expect the same will happen with LeBron James. Do you think they're actually looking past these players' careers? Yeah, I, I think they, they hope that they, he can bring in some business after his career. I, I would argue that there, from a merchandise perspective, there's never going to be another Michael Jordan. Um, uh, the, all of the things that happened when he came up were, were really unique to the time, um, whether it was you know basketball shoes as fashion exploding, ESPN starting up, uh, uh, some very clever marketing uh, done with uh, w- with Michael Jordan, and so uh, you know, I, I I don't think we'll ever see another athlete generate the kind of merchandise sales that Jordan generated. Um, is there a retro opportunity with uh, with LeBron? Yeah, potentially. Um, but the one one thing is I like to remind people is that the first five LeBrons were all dogs. Um, it wasn't yeah. until six came <laughs> out that they actually started to sell in, in commercial quantities and. Um, uh, so, it, it, and it, it, the business really peaked in the middle of 15 and has fallen off since then. So, um, the, the basketball business in the United States is, uh, is really starting to become a marginalized team-based business. And so there just isn't the justification to spend big money with these guys. I'm glad Reggie brought up MJ, actually, because, Matt, you know, you obviously uh, crunch the numbers and you watch sales so closely every quarter. And I'm curious, I mean, is the influence of Jordan in terms of sneakers as high as it's ever been? Because that was such a singular phenomenon. And obviously, Jordan brand still so big for Nike. But I'd be interested in how uh, Jordan brand has trended over the last couple of years, especially with I know you and I have talked about this for articles of mine, uh, the trend away from performance basketball sneakers and more toward sneakers worn for fashion lifestyle. Yeah, well, I think you have to break Jordan down into two parts. We have the retro lifestyle piece, and that's the the larger piece, um, and what I would call performance Jordan. Um, uh, when Jordan was retro, Jordan was really at its height, um, and kids couldn't get enough of it. There was a fairly substantial Jordan performance business, but as Jordan became oversaturated in the marketplace, and sales for Jordan brand last year were were negative um, in the high single digits. Um, uh, uh, it, it really took the, the the glow off of the performance side of the product, and, and Jordan now is a, is a really small player in performance basketball. So wow. um, the peak uh, peak Jordan was probably 2017, um, uh, and um, and business in 18 was negative. Matt, um, I know you have an interest in Yeezys and the Yeezy line. What does the future hold for it? Now, the opposite of Jordan, do you ever see Yeezy changing and becoming a performance basketball sneaker? Because as we see more general releases, the word on the street is that ah, people are not so excited about Yeezys as they once were. Do you think a change into the basketball realm could be something that could save this? No, I really don't. I, again, I think we're we're in a in a really rough patch on basketball shoes. So in the first quarter, basketball business in the United States was down twenty percent against the Euro. Wow. This is performance yeah. basketball now. I mean, that's a big number. And um, uh, when we look at the business globally, um, the, the only two countries where basketball matters is the United States and China. The rest of the world is is a very very small part of the basketball business. So. Um, 
I just I don't think that if a celebrity came out with a basketball shoe that it would uh, that it would change the business. Mm. Uh, Matt, before we kind of zoom out a little bit, one last question within the the basketball discussion. I'd be curious whether Puma has impressed you or not, and how Puma has done. Because as I remember it, uh, about a year and a half ago, you know, Puma made that big splash with you know, here comes Puma trying to get back into specifically NBA sponsorships. Uh, signed a number of draft prospects. I guess it was one season ago, and everyone said, "Wow, Puma coming back to." to the business of NBA sneakers, and also Puma, of course, brought on Jay-Z as like a consultant. Um, has Puma seen any lift from that? And do people in the industry, uh, does it look like they're taking Puma seriously again for basketball sneakers? You know, the first shoe they brought out did okay, and since then they've been disappointing. Um, and uh, there, there has not been a huge lift to, uh, to Puma's overall business. I, I think... I think in their minds, they're playing the long game here and the assumption that someday basketball is going to come back into fashion. I'm not sure I agree with that position, by the way. but um, and, and so they want to have a stake in the ground when basketball does come back. Puma's dilemma in the United States is that it's really been viewed as a fashion brand. And so when athleisure is in fashion as it is right now, Puma's doing well. Uh, when performance has been in fashion, Puma has struggled. And um, because they did not have the, uh, the the eye of the consumer when it came to performance shoes. So I think they're hoping that this yields something uh, longer term. Um, but as I said, the, the basketball business is pretty challenged right now, and, and I'm not sure that uh, – uh, any of these new entrants in basketball are really going to make a splash. Right. And uh, Reggie, I would turn it over to you, too. Uh, you know, you are our kind of sneakerhead, resident big collector. What have you thought recently about Puma? Uh, does anything that Puma has been up to uh, excite you? Um, from an XX view, it excites me because I, I love the brash colors of the Disrupt. The colorways have been extremely well done. They've been they've been loud but tasteful. But I think Puma tried to bank on the nostalgia trend, but they mm. went a generation back. Um, well, Clive Frazier was Puma's biggest athlete. He played in the mid-70s, and, I mean, that that isn't what's hot right now. It's things from the 90s, so I think that they were good to go on nostalgia, but they needed to get someone who was more current, and by the time the 80s and 90s rolled around, Puma was not a big player in the space, so that's, that's funny, where yeah. I think they got it wrong. Went uh, went too far back. Yep. Um, now, Reggie, you had brought up the Yeezys. I'm glad you did, because, Matt, I wanted to sort of transition to Adidas specifically, because, to me, Adidas, in America specifically, has been such an interesting story for basically a decade. Uh, from 2011 to 2015 or so, Adidas's U.S. market share just kept declining every year. Uh, and then at some point recently, I guess around 2016, you tell me, something changed. And some people say they brought on more celebrity influencers. Uh, I think you feel differently. Tell me, what changed for Adidas? How did Adidas uh, fuel that comeback in America? Well, I think the, the the comeback is really rooted in why the business fell off so sharply for them, and it's really about product. Um, the products that they were offering up prior to the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, um, really were just not appropriate to the U.S. market. And uh, the sh their share shrunk to the lowest number I've ever seen. Um, and when they started to get the product right around shoes like um, uh, Sam Smith and Superstore and then the uh, Tubular Shadow, uh, all of a sudden the business took off. And um, uh, they went from having about 4% share in 2015 to 11% share last wow. year. Um, I mean, that's, and, and 11 is the highest number that I've ever seen. So they went from the worst to, to the best uh, uh, in, in a very short period of time. And, and to me, it's all about product. Yep. 
Uh, Matt with Adidas, the NMD saw a big drop off. Do you think they, like Jordan Brand, saturated the market with too many colorways, too many styles? I'm sorry, can you say that again? The NMDs really fell off. Do you think, like Jordan yeah. Brand, they saturated the market with too many colorways, too many different styles? Yeah, I think they fixed that shoe. Um, the recent business on it has actually been pretty good. Um, but you're right. There was a period when, when the shoe was brand new and was on fire. Um, I think they came out with a lot of derivative product. And, and um, the, more, the more recent releases, I think, have been a, a really good update. Uh, the shoes don't really look the same, um, the, uh, even though they haven't changed that much. But, yeah, I, I think that shoe is back on, back on ascension again. Well, and that's good if NMD is is back rising because I would ask you, Matt, when we talk about the comeback and you were saying it, it's about the product, but some of the product you mentioned was bringing back those retro designs like Stan Smith and Superstar. Now, as I understand it, much more recently, the kind of um, explosion of those retro sneakers cooled off a little bit. Now, am I right to think if you're a big brand, it's great to bring back your retro designs, but what you really hope is that your new stuff is a, is a hit as well. I think it's both. I, I think it's really incumbent on brands to manage the marketplace. And in, in the case of Stan and, and Superstar, I think Adidas let let those products get overheated, and and, uh, and they began to lose their cachet. If you if you go back to when Jordan was really humming along, you know Nike grew that brand about ten percent every year, and it could have been a lot bigger, and they chose for it not to be. They kept they kept. Uh, the supply below demand and and scarcity really really works in this market and and so when in the case of Stan superstar the product was was probably oversaturated in the in the marketplace and sales fell off but we're still very much in a 90s retro trend right now and um, as long as the product is fresh uh, uh, the styles are fresh there's a business out there. Matt, I 100% agree with you. I like I like to call it the hype beast effect. Mm. As far as scarcity, yep. the Nike On Air series came out to a huge demand. The Nike um, Air Tokyo's sold. They had the New York, the Londons. And the New York and the Londons sold pretty well. But then when people realized that was a general release, they're actually sitting. And the rest that were not general release, that's what's getting big money on the resale market. And we've really seen the resale on those other two models plummet. So... Uh, I really agree with you that as soon as people find out, oh, you know what, they release a lot of this product, they're like, no, it's not cool anymore. Let's not get that. Exactly. Yeah, and there's sort of the scarcity problem, right? Like um, when we talk about the Yeezys, one interesting thing to me, and and maybe it's already changed again, Matt, but I remember it might have been a couple quarters ago, but uh, Adidas finally brought the Yeezy line a little bit more mass or or put more supply out there. And you uh, wrote in a blog post that actually it led to a little bit of a boost. Now, I don't know if that that says about the future sustainability of that line, and I don't know if it means that they should necessarily make it super mass, but for a while, the Yeezy effect was all about just how scarce it was, and they'd sell out only because they put a very tiny supply out. Uh, tell me a little exactly. bit about what happened when they when they put more supply out recently. Well, that product did do very well, and they put the, the word the word on the street is they put a million pairs of Yeezy in the marketplace in, in, over holiday, and um, the product sold out, but it didn't sell out nearly as quickly, and the resale market collapsed. If we go back, you know, to the original Adidas Yeezy shoe. That shoe sold at retail for $300 and resold for $9,000. Oh, my and God. So a 30% appreciation. The, the last couple of mass releases on Yeezy only sold for $50 more than, than a suggested retail. Uh. So they, um, the resale market has collapsed. And in my, in my opinion, that program and most celebrity-driven products are really about 
having a tool that nobody else has, and that has value for the consumer. So um, if they try to make a brand like that into a mass product, uh, uh, my gut is that at some point people are going to lose interest. And we, we actually have, an, I think, evidence of this theory with, with what's happened with Jordan. Mm. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good uh, past example. Now, when we talk about Kanye and we're, we're talking about celebrity partnerships, uh, which Adidas has done a number of those, uh, quite recently now we had Adidas announcing Beyonce uh, as, a, as a partnership. So tell me about what that can do, and are you sort of bullish on that? I remember famously years back, and it's just a probably was an offhand comment from you, but it's one that I reuse all the time because I think it, it is really interesting. You had told me that one of, or maybe the only, you thought, examples of a celebrity partnership that really did move the needle in terms of sales was Puma uh, working with Rihanna on that Fenty line. So, so what can Beyonce do for Adi? Yeah, I think that, I think there's a there's an opportunity here for them to get some lift out of it. I, again, I think the reach of celebrities are limited. Um, I, I, I don't think everybody's going to be wearing a Beyonce shoe out there, but I do I do think there's an opportunity for for them to grow. And I, I think her role, as I've read about it and I've talked to people about it, is going to be much deeper with uh, with the company um, than a lot of other celebrity involvement. So she's really going to be taking the role of creative director quite seriously. So um, uh, if, if she can bring her sensibility to the marketplace uh, and and have some signature shoes, I think uh, all in, that's, a, uh, that, that's potentially a win for Adidas. But there are very few uh, celebrities who really can move the needle. Matt, do you think bringing Beyonce in with Adidas is a play to grow their their female female consumer base because we see Nike really make a power play towards females and actually in the last earnings call Nike CEO said that the female growth is over indexing the men's growth so do you think that was a big reason why Beyonce was brought in well, I, I've said many times that the, uh, the industry's greatest failure and its greatest opportunity is women's. And if we look at wow. if we look at the fashion side of the business, the women's portion of fashion footwear, fashion apparel, is much greater than the men's portion. When we move over and talk about the athletic side, the men's piece is much larger than the women's piece. And I'm not suggesting the proportions need to be the same as they are in fashion, but I think we continue to leave business on the table, which is allowed brands like Lululemon and Athleta to come up and really and really take share from the guy brands, if you will. Um, and so uh, I think every brand out there is trying to figure out how to capture this women's business. And, and uh, you know, I think anything that's going to bring them more women's businesses is, is a plus for, for, for any brand. Matt, uh, as I mentioned here at Yahoo Finance, Reggie is often the one to get cool new sneaker designs first, and we'll go on the shows and talk about them. And just just this week, Reggie had the new 100% recycled sneaker from Adidas, uh, Future Craft Loop. Did I get that name right, Reg? Yes. Yeah. And it yes. is it is really striking when you hold it and look at it. I mean, it's all there's not even glue, no yarn used, and on the bottom, at the very center of the sole, you see what kind of looks like plastic piping. I think it's very cool. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, for now, this is a, a limited reach thing, but does doing these kind of uh, socially conscious things, because Adidas has really pushed recycled stuff. They also did the big partnership with Parlay for the Oceans, where they made sneakers out of recycled ocean plastic. Does that move the needle, or is this just about you know helping the brand in terms of, hey, we're, we're a company that actually cares about the environment? Have you been watching that? That stuff. Yeah, I think that you know, the, I think the young consumer today wants brands to take visible stands on social issues, and and if those stands agree with the position of the of the generation, I think it, it does resonate with the, with the consumer. We saw with um, Nike and the Kaepernick ad, um, the, the, their mentions went way up. Their business for a week or so was better than it had been. 
Um, uh, uh, so I, I, I think the consumer really gravitates to brands that are supporting the issues that they think are important, and the environment is clearly the most important um, uh, uh, social issue for Gen Z. And so this, this is a good play. Now, is it highly commercial? No. Um, last year, Adidas sold a million pairs of Parley, um, and, uh, but they made 400 million pairs of shoes. Um, this year, they say they're going to make 11 million pairs of Parley, which is which is a huge increase in the great in the great effort, but still really pales by comparison to, right. to the total number of shoes that they're making. So, but I think the the goodwill from the consumer that uh, they this brand is supporting issues that I think are important is can go a long way to uh, that popularity. I agree with you 100. percent um, I was lucky enough to go to the unvi- the unveiling of this shoe and spoke to Graham Williamson. Uh, He's senior director of Futurecraft, and he described it as a guilt-free purchase. So I think that's the aim that they're going to. Like, this is something that you can buy and actually feel good about. And like you said, with Gen Z, Willow Smith was actually there talking about this product. So I think that's what they're really trying to go for. Obviously, they can't touch Nike in terms of what they have, their basketball endorsements, things like that. So they're like, all right, we're the socially conscious brand. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then, by the way, I think one of the things that hurts this the potential of this product uh, hurts the potential of this product is really the price it's going to have to sell for. So um, it's not everybody's the forty nine ninety nine sneaker here, but um, right. uh, uh, but all in, I, it's good work, and 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 we need to do more of this. Um, um, the sneaker industry is not nearly as green as it ought to be, and uh, I'm glad to see brands taking stands like this. Yeah. Uh, Matt, while we have you, when we talk about kind of the sneaker wars in America, everyone talks about Nike and Adidas, and then maybe they say, okay, Under Armour trying its best to to do better with footwear. But one company that I feel like isn't mentioned often enough and is really large is VF Corp. Uh, now, recently on our shows, we've talked about that company with regards to selling off uh, one of its jeans divisions. But in terms of footwear, you know, VF Corp is the parent company of, of Vans and Reef and Timberland. Tell me a little bit about uh, VF Corp's kind of place in the U.S. Uh, sneaker market. Yeah, I think Vans is one of the hottest brands in the sneaker market right now, and and VF has really resurrected this brand from, uh, you know, what was really dependent on one shoe in the business kind of, kind of uh, evaporated for them for a little bit, and, and now they've come back in a major way. So I think VF is managing them very well. Uh, Timberland had a good year. Um, still some room for improvement there. Uh, Reef is, uh, is an interesting one. So there, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff going on here. North, they're working the North Face, and North Face has been doing some collaborations recently that have really looked terrific. They've moved away from being everybody's black jacket to uh, to being a fashion brand again. Uh, so I, I have a lot of respect for uh, for what uh, they've done there. Matt Vans recently did a um, David Bowie themed sneaker, and now they're doing a collaboration with Harry Potter. Do you think the theme sneaker is the future of this industry aside from Nike? I hope not. <laughs> You know, it's, most of these releases, these collaborations, are not made in commercial numbers, so they really don't matter a lot. They get a lot of noise. They get a lot of pictures on Instagram. Um, but at the end of the day, they're making five, ten thousand, maybe fifty thousand pairs, and so they're just—they're not big enough to really move the needle for anybody. And what I've been actually urging the brands to do is to try to figure out what made that shoe so popular, and then. Offer it up in a in a more commercial way, lower price, not as exclusively distributed, um, but figure out a way to, to monetize that. And so far, nobody's really done a great job of that. And until until they they 
actually make that leap. I think uh, I think these collaborations are going to be more about um, uh, Instagram uh, likes than it's going to be about uh, uh, actual sales in, right. in, in the cash register. That oh-so-elusive sense of brand buzz. Yes. <laughs> Hard to quantify. Uh, Matt, let's wrap up this way. Any other surprises that you see right now in, in the U.S. sneaker market? We've talked about the resurgence of Adidas, and now kind of that comeback has cooled a little bit. Uh, of course, we're on Zion Watch to see what happens there. But when you look at the quarterly numbers, maybe over the last year, uh, anything stick out to you or something you think that the people who cover this industry have missed? Well, we're absolutely in an athleisure cycle right now, both in apparel and footwear. People oh, yeah. are buying athletically inspired products with no intention of actually doing sport in them. <laughs> um, and for the first 40, 50 years of what I would call a modern sneaker uh, marketplace, um, we've always had at least one performance category that has been in fashion. So, well, you know, go back in the 70s and it was tennis. Um, people actually wanted to wear tennis wear on uh, on the street. Um, and then the jogging and running shoe thing came out, and, and that was big for a, a decade or so. And then 80s was the basketball decade, and 90s was the cross-training decade. And so we've always had at least one performance category that was in fashion that was trending positively. We're now close to four years of not having a single performance category in, in the plus column. Um, wow. And so we're we're very much in an athleisure cycle. And, and this is a fundamental shift for the industry. One of, one of the interesting stories is that it, it really is allowing brands who do not have a sport heritage and performance heritage to come in and take some shares. So we're talking about brands now like Madden and Sperry and uh, Echo and, and Gucci, for instance, oh, wow. uh, who, are, who, are, who are growing rapidly in the, uh, in the, in the athletic shoe space. Um, and the, the industry has not really embraced this and really has not responded to it. And um, I, I, the, there is a potential uh, real, real pitfalls for the industry if they, if they don't uh, really understand what's, what's happened to the business. Wow. So, uh, so what you're telling me is boat shoes are back, huh, Matt? Yep. <laughs> um, let's let's ask you both. I think it would be fun to end this way, both Reggie and Matt. Uh, in the last year, what is the most impressive or exciting new sneaker release that you've seen from any uh, brand in America? New sneaker? Do you want me to go? Um, no, I think I'll jump on that. Exciting. I'm going to get a little personal. I would have to say the Game of Thrones Adidas. I mean, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. And... You can do a theme sneaker in a cheesy way, and a lot of companies do that, but I think they got it right. If you are going to do a theme sneaker, you do it that way. No crazy logos all over the place, just colors that subtle. are rem- yeah, very subtle colors that are rem- reminiscent of the show. And I think for me, I think that was the that 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 was the best one, aside awesome. from the Travis Scott ones. But those <laughs> officially haven't come out yet. But. Right, Matt. Um, I've been saying a lot of negative things about basketball, but I have to say I really like Converse's new basketball shoe. Really, uh, I think it looks it it really looks unique. It's it's fresh. Um, I don't think it's going to sell a million pairs, but but I think uh, um, it, it certainly is is it's some fresh looking product. Wow, that is really interesting. Converse, another uh, Nike owned brand. Right. There we go. All right. Really great stuff. Just outstanding. Uh, kind of like the ultimate sneaker episode. So really good, uh, really good chats with both of you. Thank you, Reggie. And thank you so much, Matt Powell, for joining us. Glad to help. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Matt. Okay. That was great stuff from my colleague, Reggie, and from Matt Powell. 
a very good Ultimate Sneakerhead podcast, and it was. The final episode of this Yahoo Finance Sportsbook podcast, I want to share with you guys that we are wrapping up this podcast. We've been doing it two years and 84 episodes. Yahoo Finance moving in a little bit of a different direction for our podcast strategy, but keep watching because we have three new podcasts coming, and those will all be very exciting. I will be in the mix on those as well. But we are retiring the Sportsbook Podcast. I have really enjoyed doing it. And we have talked to so many interesting, great guests on this podcast over the last two years. We've had pro athletes like NFL veteran Martellus Bennett. We had MMA fighter Kayla Harrison, lacrosse star Paul Rabel. We've had sports authors in like Michael Lewis, Jeff Perlman, and Rich Cohen. We had golfer Greg Norman on this podcast, The Shack. We had Dale Earnhardt Jr. We've had the commissioners of Major League Soccer and the NHL. We've had NBA player Draymond Green, the CEOs of companies like DraftKings and FanDuel and Barstool Sports. We've had a lot of fun, and you can find the whole archive of the podcast online pretty easily through Acast or through Apple. So just Google for that. It is Yahoo Finance Sportsbook, and we have really enjoyed doing it. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, you can continue to follow all of our sports business coverage at Yahoo Finance. That is not going away. Just look us up on Twitter, Facebook, yahoofinance.com, all those different places. And remember, you can email me or tweet to me with comments or thoughts for future stories. Thanks again. Signing off here. Goodbye. Goodbye.